This afternoon I proclaim to you the, the Word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 48 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 48 about the second petition. What is the second petition? Your kingdom come, that is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. So far, what we confess in Lord's Day 48. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, boys and girls too. So what did Jesus exactly teach us to pray for in this second petition, your kingdom come? What are we supposed to think of when we pray this petition? Do we really ask that God send his son as soon as possible? And do we then maybe stand at the window looking to see if he's coming yet? We do believe that he's coming, don't we? That he's going to appear visibly to all. The traffic on the road will stop. All the busyness in the cities, all the machinery in the fields, the factories. Everybody will see him. Everyone on earth will see him at the same time. Every knee will bow before him. Do we really look forward to that? Do we live for that? That's the the question. I think that as Christians who confess the coming of the Lord in glory, there can in general maybe be three wrong responses to this confession about the coming of the Lord. To the second petition, too, we can say, well, it's a good thing that the Lord is going to come again to renew all things, but I hope he's going to wait a while because I've got a few things to do yet, uh, plans for the future. Maybe uh, marriage, having a child, having a grandchild. God's kingdom come, but not yet, please. I'm, I'm having a pretty good time right now, and there are things to do yet, please, places to go. So if you could wait a while yet, it would be good. That's one way we could uh, respond to that petition. Or we could, or maybe we don't even think about it. You know, we become so completely absorbed by life here, so taken up in it, we're busy with all kinds of things, we hardly ever think about uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ anymore. Just too, too absorbed with this life. And then when we pray the Lord's Prayer and come to the second petition, it may flit through our minds yet, oh yeah, the, there's, uh, God's kingdom is coming and uh, Jesus is coming. Uh, but when we say amen to the prayer, it's back to business again, the present reality. Just don't think about it. And it, it doesn't really have any big impact on our life then. Or maybe... Maybe we have a very difficult time in life and we're, we're struggling with certain things, with mental or physical health issues or with other pressures in life. Think of Christians who are persecuted too. When we suffer, then we can long very much for the kingdom. You know, also uh, 
uh, people when they get older. Lord, I, I, you know, I, I can't take this anymore. It's uh, too painful in this life, too difficult. Come now. I wish you would come now and, and deliver me from my suffering. It's understandable that people in that, that situation would want to pray something like that. But that's not completely the right approach either because our petition for the coming of the kingdom is then kind of selfish. Instead of focusing on God and the manifestation of his glory, it's the relief of our pain or, or our sorrow. See, it's important. It's pretty important that we know what we're praying about in the second petition. The Lord Jesus Christ taught this petition so that we not only look forward to the coming of the kingdom of his Father to fullness, but so that we also presently live in and work towards that, that kingdom, that coming of the kingdom with the right attitude. And I preach to you what we confess about Lord's Day, uh, about that in Lord's Day 48 with this theme. The Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to keep praying to God for the complete victory of his kingdom. And we'll see, first, where that kingdom is. Secondly, what we are to do as citizens of that kingdom. And thirdly, when the fullness of that kingdom comes. So first of all, where that kingdom is. A kingdom is usually a territory with borders ruled by a king. That's why it's called a kingdom. But can you point out where the kingdom of God is on a map? Where is it located? Well, you can't point that out because God is king of all the earth and the earth is only half of his kingdom. The other half, the other province of his kingdom, we could say is heaven. That's where God has his glorious throne and where millions of angels praise him day and night now. God created heaven and earth. He rules over both. That's his kingdom. We sang about that at the beginning of the service with Psalm 97. It doesn't seem like God is king of all the earth, does, he? does it? Because more and more people today deny him and refuse to honor him and serve him as king. And that's because of the fall in the beginning, not long after God created everything. Enemy came in to God's kingdom. An enemy. And when the first man listened to that enemy, the devil, he went over to his side, rebelled against God's kingdom. He rebelled against God's kingship over him. And then when he fell, his children too became rebellious. They're born rebellious. God's enemy, the devil, started that rebellion in heaven already. He brought it to earth. He's the alien occupier of God's domain. God didn't give up on his province, this province of his kingdom, though. No, he so loved the world that he promised a savior, an eternal king and kingdom. So from that point on, there is hope for creation again when he made that promise already to Adam and Eve. I'll put enmity in this world between my kingdom and that kingdom. And for centuries then, people looked forward to the coming of the king because it was to be born of a woman, seed of the woman. Come, Lord, let your kingdom come. Restore your people, restore creation. Be king over all. And what God did was he set aside a little kingdom of people for himself, the Israelites. 
because eventually everybody fell away and it was just one little kingdom, the Israelites, and he made a covenant with them. And when they took possession of the land of Canaan, God's kingdom actually, you could say, well, that's where God's kingdom is on earth here, in that little nation. God's throne was there in Zion, in the temple. And that kingdom had a constitution, the Ten Commandments. And there was even a royal house, the house of David, which was to govern the land on God's behalf. So by God's amazing grace, in the middle of this fallen world, this dominion of the evil one, the kingdom of God became manifest again. But how did it go with that little kingdom of Israel, that little wee kingdom there? Because there, was, there were enemies, both outside but also within that kingdom. There were enemies. Didn't go well, did it? People of Israel in general didn't want God as king, kept rebelling against him too as, as their king. And in the end, even the house of David became a house in ruins. But that wasn't the end of the story. God is so gracious. If you think about that, this through it, it, it would have been if everybody, everything had depended on people. But God doesn't forget his promises. He lifted up that fallen house of David. He sent his son, also the son of David, the Savior who is Christ the Lord, and via him God set about restoring his kingdom in a glorious way. And that's what the, the believers, the remnant in the Old Testament, longed for and prayed for. They prayed this petition too, your kingdom come, and then in the sense of God, send the king who saves. And Christ came and he came to save and to establish God's eternal kingdom. And, and it didn't look like much at first, that kingdom. Christ was born in a stable, humble circumstances. He was put to death on an accursed cross. The king became a servant, gave up his life. But then he rose from the dead victorious. And in that, he already overcame the devil and death. In that, he is an eternal king. We have an eternal king then. He ascended into heaven in triumph, sat down at God's right hand. And that's when Satan also was thrown out of that part of the kingdom. And then he could say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Christ is king. And God the Father reigns over his kingdom through him. Through Jesus. He is the farmer who sows the good seed in the field of the world today. And the wheat that grows is those who hear the gospel of King Jesus and who serve him. So in order to understand the kingdom of God and how it comes, you have to know Jesus Christ. Where is the kingdom of God today? It's wherever the gospel is believed and where Jesus Christ is served as king. So... The kingdom is in you when you believe. When you have the Lord as king. 
And so the kingdom isn't something far away from us here either. We're in the middle of it also in the church as members of Christ's church. You can see quite a bit of the kingdom of God when you see Christ's church. It's not the whole kingdom yet though. We look forward yet to the fullness of the kingdom when God will be all and in all. When God is acknowledged as king by all. And see, that's why Christ taught us in this second petition, your kingdom come. Everything is on the way to that yet. To that fullness. Father in heaven, let your enemies be destroyed. Let your royal glory and majesty be acknowledged by all. Let all who are on earth bow before you. The second point of the sermon was what we are to do as citizens of that kingdom. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, when we pray the second petition, we don't just pray for things in general, though, for things to happen out there. Lord, defeat the devil, do away with sin out there, do away with those who don't obey you. No, as members of Christ Church, we're citizens of the kingdom, and we first need to begin with ourselves. The kingdom has to grow to fullness in our own hearts in the first place. And that's why when Lord's Day 48 begins with the explanation of the second petition, it says, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. We. And a congregation... It's still so hard for, for us, even as citizens of the kingdom. You know, we have, we have the passport of the kingdom. It's still so hard for us to submit to the king's rule and give him the glory as he has a right to from us, doesn't he? Doesn't it? It doesn't come naturally to us to, to sing praises to God, does it? You know, do we really prepare ourselves before we appear before the king here in worship service, in the worship services, do we acknowledge him as king in that too? That we approach him here reverently on a Sunday. This is where the king meets with his people, right? Do we prepare our hearts for that? We come to his throne here together. Do we dress for that? We meet with the king of kings here, you know. And what about during the week? Are we conscious of our citizenship in the kingdom of God when we speak or act in our everyday life? Because it's in our blood yet, so to speak, not to want to submit to any king, not to praise and serve God in our lives. So Christ teaches us to pray that God's kingdom may come in our hearts more and more and in our lives. Father, Rule over us in such a way that we submit to your good government more and more. And from ourselves, we then go over to praying for the church, right? Us here together. The church is the heart of the kingdom of God. It's the gathering of the citizens of the kingdom. It's where the king comes to work with his word and spirit in the first place. This is where the citizens of the kingdom come together before him every Sunday, as we mentioned before. And here through word and sacrament, as we saw it here this afternoon too, we're spiritually fed and spiritually armed for the battle against the enemies of the kingdom. And there are enemies. 
That's why Lord's Day 48 says, preserve your church. Because the church is under spiritual attack. From all sides, the devil would like nothing better than to undermine the word and also the confession of the word by Christ's church. So we ought to pray, let the kingdom keep coming in the church too, among the citizens of the kingdom here. Arm arm us all spiritually so we can test the spirits and reject what is contrary to your word. And of course, when we pray that God keep his church, we're called to work in that preservation, work along with that preservation ourselves too. We're called to be faithful members of the church to make sure the ministry of the gospel continues and remains true to the word and everything done is done here in good order and in a brotherly way according to the, the Bible. We need to take up that good fight of the faith ourselves too. We'll most certainly come across that old enmity God established in the beginning between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman, the dominion of darkness and, and his kingdom. Those two kingdoms are in conflict in this world all the time in our own hearts and lives, but also in the church. Do we see how the devil works today, how he sows weeds, tares, tries to expand his kingdom in this world? Martin Luther once said that wherever Christ establishes his church, the devil sets up the chapel next door. As members of the church, we're still so prone to to absorbing the wrong ideas and thoughts from books and television and social media and so on. And those, those media make out, they, they make what's not really important sound really important, far more important than what's really important. And then we can get our priorities mixed up ourselves. We can easily say to ourselves that we don't have the energy to look into the Bible now. I've got, got a number of other things to do first. It takes so much concentration to open your Bible. A lot easier to spend time behind a computer screen or watch an hour or so of television than to open your Bible. It can be so hard for us to read the Bible even for 10 minutes. It's a long time if you're reading the Bible. And the devil makes use of that. For in the end, we won't even know what's good and what's evil anymore. We lose discernment. And we don't even know what God has declared war in the, that God has declared war in this world on the dominion of the devil anymore. We say, what war? What enmity? In no Lord's Day 48 points out that we need to pray with that second petition to, O Father, destroy the works of the devil, regenerate us so that we ourselves also take up the battle in our own lives and in the communion of saints. They take up the battle against the evil one, destroy every power that raises itself against you, every conspiracy against your holy word. And believe me, there are conspiracies against the holy word of God. Think of those who treat the Bible as a work of man. They, they treat it as a work of man and they, they take it apart and analyze it as if it's all just a, a work of people, written by people. has to be taken into cultural context and so on. In the end, there'll be nothing left of the Bible. 
And don't forget then the, the false prophets who treat the Bible as a secret code, try to discover when the rapture will take place and their so-called millennium will begin, for instance. All kinds of books and websites with pious-sounding false prophecy. So we need to pray regularly, Father, your kingdom come. Put to nothing every conspiracy against your holy word and give us discernment then to test the spirits whether they are really from you. And then also we need to pray, as, as Lord Day 48 says, for the increase of God's church, the increase. After all, we, we haven't received God's grace and his rich promises just to hoard it for ourselves. The Bible clearly calls us to share those treasures with others, to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So many people are giving up Christianity today. We need to pray and to work, ask for God to bless his, the work of mission and home mission and support that work here and abroad. Support it. Be involved in it. Take interest in it. And show God's good grace and good government in our own lives. How can we pray, increase your church, Lord, and then become inebriated ourselves and act like those who Scripture says will never inherit the kingdom? Instead of attracting people to God's kingdom, then we become stumbling blocks to others by our life. Look at the church as a gathering. They look at the church as a gathering of hypocrites then. No, we have to pray constantly that we may not be stumbling blocks to others, but living advertisements of the grace and righteousness of God. And we pray not only for the increase from, from the outside then, but also from within. Every birth in the church is a kind of victory for God's kingdom. Joel's baptism as a covenant child is a victory we can celebrate today too. And what a responsibility for covenant parents. You're not just raising your kids, but they're the Lord's kids, and you, we, they need to be shown that, and they need to be armed for that battle to themselves so they can be, be good citizens of God's kingdom in this world. And then Christian education is a victory for the Lord and a defeat for the devil in his kingdom. When the kids learn to sing a psalm, the foe is silenced. Psalm 8. We sang that before the service this morning from Psalm 8. Well, you see, in that psalm, the children, what the children can sing and say puts the evil one to silence. And when they know their catechism, it's a blow to Satan. See, congregation, there's so much to pray for, so much to do when it comes to the kingdom of God. Lots to do. The coming of the kingdom. We have to admit that our prayers and and then also our deeds which accompany those prayers often fall short for the cause of God's kingdom, right? We so often don't serve our king with such zeal as we ought. And it's pretty disappointing when there's strife among brothers and sisters in the church sometimes. And it's pretty disheartening when we see people abandoning church and their citizenship in God's kingdom. What do we do then? Shake our heads and say, oh, well, that's their choice. Not much we can do about it. No, fold our hands in prayer. Ask God for his mercy for them. Ask God that his kingdom may come also through bringing them back. 
You realize there's so much to, there's so much evolved, involved in this, in this prayer, where, and we're so imperfect yet in these things, right? We so often falter in our prayers and don't put up much of a fight against the evil one and his dominion. But in this petition, the Savior teaches us to look, continue to look ahead and work toward the day when the war is finished and the victory is complete and we can serve God perfectly without any shortcomings at all. What a thing to look forward to. Father, how long yet? And then we come to the third point of the sermon when the fullness of that kingdom comes. The Lord Jesus teaches us to think about and long for the fullness of his kingdom. When the fullness of God's kingdom comes, the Lord will come and make all things new. Will renew everything. The catechism describes it as the fullness when he will be all in all. That means when God is everything to everyone. When he is king over all, served fully by all, glorified by all things. We can't imagine that what that would be like in this world, this fallen world at this time. Can't imagine it. The, the world today is so being ruined because of sin. Will it ever change? Will it ever all become perfect to God's glory again? Well, not if it's left up to mankind. In general, mankind's solutions to all the troubles and the problems here on earth only cause more problems. No man can't make this into a kingdom of justice and peace. It all has to come from God himself. He has to do it. When the time is ripe, when, when the tares and the wheat have ripened and are ready for harvest, then the time is there for the glory of his kingdom to shine over the whole world. And do we realize then, brothers and sisters, when we pray your kingdom come, we're asking God to also unleash his terrible judgments and then especially his last judgments against sin and wickedness over this world. To pour out the bowls of his wrath on this earth. Do we realize that we're also praying for that? That what is happening, the violence and all that is happening in the world, congregation, and, and the Ebola virus and things like that, that, that we could actually be praying for those things to happen when we say your kingdom come. Father, let your judgments come out over this world. Think of the parable. Think of that parable we read, the wheat and the tares, the weeds. The weeds will be pulled up in the end. They grow, first of all, along with the wheat. And when it's all ripe, then, then the weeds will be pulled up and tied in bundles to be burned at the harvest. All those who were on, on the side of the evil one, in the dominion of darkness, your neighbor, your co-worker, maybe nice people, they refuse to believe, they will be rooted up and cast into the great fire that is coming. And in that way, the world will be cleansed of all rebellion, wickedness, and godlessness. You know, if you think about it, so many people long for a better world today. A better world. Everybody knows there's something wrong with the, the way things are now. 
and people try to think of a way to fix it, fix it, and, and, and every time it's futile again. And every time they think, yes, this is the answer. But it, it, it fails every time again. All the efforts. Because only God can and will make things right here again. He's promised to renew us, promised to renew all things. His Son will come in glory, will destroy all the weeds and bring the wheat into God's barn. There will be no place on earth for the enemies of God's kingdom, for all who refuse to bow to God and His kingship, even those who were church members but who didn't submit in their hearts to God's kingship. We're warned about that in the Gospels too. The Lord will say to them, Sorry, I don't know you. That's the seriousness of the second petition congregation. Our Savior taught us this petition so that we pray it on a regular basis and so that we may be ready, be preparing and ready for that day. How could we pray this petition and not making ourselves ready for the coming of the Lord in glory? He wants us to live in the expectation of the fullness of his kingdom. In the good things as well as the bad things, in the joys as well as in the sorrows of this life. Let us not be like those who sleep, but as those who stay awake and keep their souls when the day comes, as the Apostle Paul writes. Because that day of total victory is coming. The Bible is so clear about that. That's one thing that we don't have to argue about in the Bible. The day of total victory is coming. When the number of the citizens for God's kingdom is complete and the measure of sin is full, when it's all ripe, the Son will come to finally deliver the kingdom to His Father and God will be served in every, worshipped in every corner of His kingdom on earth as well as in heaven. Suffering will become glory for God's people. Struggle become victory. All God's children and heirs will live forever in that glorious kingdom of peace. The great and the small, the strong and the disabled, the married, the unmarried, all those who love God and struggle to submit their lives to Him. They were citizens here. They were citizens here. They wanted Him as King and they will live in His palace among all the treasures of His kingdom brought there by the nations. What a future to look forward to, congregation. So let's keep praying that second petition, praying for the final and complete and the full victory of God's kingdom, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Always, no matter how good or how hard we have it here, look forward with joyful expectation to the coming of our Lord and to the eternal kingdom of His glory and work for that now. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thought about your, the Lord's prayer, that second petition, your kingdom come. That is, that means, as we confess, so rule us, each of us, by your word and spirit, that we submit more and more to you and preserve and increase your church, Father, and destroy the works of the devil and every power 
that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Put them all to nothing and do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes wherein you shall be all in all. Amen.